Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. Program initiated. Enter when ready. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we are talking about the Star Trek Discovery episode, The Red Angel. So Vicki, what did you think of this episode? I loved this episode, actually. I actually really enjoyed it, too. So we can agree on that one. And, you know, and, after and I guess the whole, the whole Arium thing was totally a misdirect. And, and that's kind of cool that they sent us off in a different direction. Yeah. yeah. And you can tell they did that purposely just by the way they filmed the beginning. Yeah. Yes, exactly. With her memorial service. Yeah. That they wouldn't show us that she was on the ship. They kept panning down until you could almost see the coffin and then it goes elsewhere. Yeah. So you didn't know who actually had her. Exactly. Though you did see her with, sort of have the autopsy, which was sad. Yes. Yeah. But at the time, we didn't know who was doing this autopsy. We didn't know if Discovery had her. Right. Or... Right. So that's, uh, that's essentially the start of this episode is that we see the follow-up and impact of Ariam's death at, from the last episode, The Daedalus Project. And we see her, I guess they downloaded her memories from her cyber I brain. I think so, and, and deleted them. Yeah, which is, you know, kind of sad. And then there was a, a, a very nice... I, but I, go ahead. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Shift her out into space with, um, I guess they don't want to send her out into space with all of that information downloaded. Yes. So there was a very nice memorial service. Several people spoke. Saru sang. I liked that. So, but I always, I kind of wanted to go off on a little bit of a side note here. Do you ever sort of wonder why they put people in a photon tube and shoot them out into space? I think I probably did when I was younger and I don't think, I, I really don't think about it anymore, but you know, I, I kind of always assumed it was like a burial at sea. Yes, except that a burial at sea will result in decomposition and returning yeah, to the elements yeah. of the earth, whereas shooting them out into space. And I used to think I used to think the same thing. I was like, oh, this must be the Starfleet version of a burial at sea. But shooting them out in space, they could be out in space forever. And uh, do you remember the episode? There was a Voyager episode. What was it called? Ashes to Ashes, where they had lost a crew, per, a crew per member. They shot her out into space. Another species found her and reanimated her and made her into their species. Do you remember that one? No. I, I don't think I remember that. Yeah, and it was, it was actually kind of an interesting episode because she still had her memories from Voyager, so she escaped the new species in Kim. At Kim Rhodes. Was that the one with Kim Rhodes? Is that who she is? See, you know all the actors and the actresses. <laughs> Um, did she? Oh, I'm, it, I'm just getting little glimmers, but yeah. I remember Kim Rhodes being. I saw, and I could be totally wrong, a character who turned out to be not to be. Um, 
Yeah, she eventually couldn't stay on Voyager because her new species was too dominant. There wasn't enough human left in her, and so she wasn't fitting in anymore. Anyway, and then there was another episode, also Voyager. Oh, what was that one called? It was called, um, oh, I don't remember. But it was an episode where they found this stellar object called a graviton ellipse, and inside of it was a Mars lander vehicle that had been captured by it 200 years before. And they found the vehicle, and it was like a, it was like a, a character development episode for Seven of Nine, who had no appreciation of exploration or history until she went and discovered, you know, the lander vehicle and listened to the man's log entries about how he thought this was worth it to learn new things. Mm. And so they, I do remember that one. That, and and I, just, I just looked up the previous episode and it is Kim Rose. Okay. Is the one I'm thinking of. Very good. So this one with the, um, the, the Mars commander guy, they retrieved his body from the graviton ellipse and then turned around and put it in a photon tube and shot it out into space again. And I'm thinking, why? <laughs> Couldn't they just have left it in the graviton elli- ellipse? I mean, and I think, I think the idea is to have some kind of service and memorial. But on the other hand, right. couldn't you do that with, I, I don't know, it just seems, it doesn't make sense to me. So, But I'm going to be finished with this little frolic and detour on the shooting of the body in space. Just to say that it, whenever that happens in Star Trek, I always think, why do they do that? You know, if they even put it in, like, orbit around a sun so that eventually it'll burn up in the sun, that would make more sense to me than just sending it off to just float around forever. I, like I said, I hadn't really thought about that <laughs> since I was a kid, but, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> well, you're very gracious. Thank you. So after the um, service, <laughs> we, um, we see Tyler and Burnham having an interaction, and... Tyler's trying to get close with her, but she's still really grieving for Arium, and she's like, nope, can't go there right now. So we see that sort of, we see where Tyler's trying to go there. That, that to me, that's what that scene was yeah. for. And then they start evaluating all this data that they got from Arium about what the artificial intelligence for the future was trying to do and how it happened to infect Section 31, and they're trying to make sure that Section 31 no longer is infected by this AI and all the ships are supposed to have cleaned out their databases, their computer bases, and, you know, Section 31's headquarters was clean. So they're all thinking, okay, everything's okay. But I think it's Saru who's like, yeah, don't assume, which is terrific, because he's right. Um, So even though he doesn't have his gangly anymore, he still has good instincts. (laughs) And then Tilly comes in. She's just in her usual adorable... I have something important to say, and I'm going to do it awkwardly, and here we go. Um, and she says that they discovered a bioneural signature for the Red Angel in Arium's, this, this information that Arium had, and that bioneural signature is of Michael Burnham. Right. So right off the bat, we were like, okay, so the Red Angel is not Arium. And then there's also this <coughs> file called Project Daedalus, that she discovered that's actually a Section 31 file. So Project Daedalus that Arium referenced in the last episode is a project that Section 31 started. So they tried to um, get Dr. Culber to evaluate the bioneural signature, and he confirms that it's Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. <laughs> we see Dr. Culber, I think, is trying to figure out where he fits in. There were several scenes with Dr. Culber in this episode. One of which, I think, did you laugh? I laughed. 
with uh, Tilly and no, Stamus? No, with the Admiral. <laughs> anyway, but we'll get there. Well, you, I laughed because I laughed because he's looking for a therapist. Right, finally. Which we know none exists. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, Leland and Giorgio who beam aboard, and so they're going to try to help figure out the the mystery of Burnham's connection with the Red Angel because it's the same neural signature, and Culber confirms that it's the same neural signature. And we got some great little little scenes with Giorgio, Agent Giorgio. Gosh, she is so funny. So. Yeah. She complains about debate to Cornwall, and Cornwall says something like, if you don't have debate, you don't have any innovation. <laughs> and she, Agent Georgia responds, she prefers totalitarian efficiency. <laughs> right. She's so awesome. And then um, there's another scene where she's, this is the one with Culver and Stamets and Tilly and Agent Giorgio that just goes sideways in the weirdest way. And Tilly on the end is like, what just happened? <laughs> You know, looking at the rest of the episode, I think that was all about she saw the um, tension between Stamets and Culver. Yeah, and that was a whole that was a whole thing to help them. Believe I think, which is interesting. What does she it, get? What does she get out of that? Nothing. That's what I'm saying. This episode, she seemed more less mirror universe, Giorgio. Yes, and and she almost seemed like. We were looking at the original Giorgio. Yes. And, and but because we haven't seen her behave like that. We've seen her behave like mirror universe Giorgio, but not towards men, not since we've seen her come back from section thirty one. Yeah. And so that whole thing was out of the clear blue sky. And it worked because Culver jumped in and says, Well, you know he's gay, right? He didn't have to say Right. He didn't have to rescue him. He was taking care of himself. And later on, way later, we're jumping ahead when um, Culver, when they're going into the room and Culver wants to talk to Stamets and Stamets says it's not the right time, it may never be the right time. So now he's the one who doesn't want to talk. George O smirked. <laughs> yes, she, she watched did. that whole exchange and she smirked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I like the way you frame that about how Agent Giorgio is almost like our uh, the, this universe Giorgio instead of the mirror universe Giorgio because in this episode, for the first time, Burnham called her Philippa yes. instead of keeping her at arm's length because she was the mirror universe Giorgio. And so I, I think you, you pegged it. That's exactly right. And I never realized, I never thought that she did that on purpose to help them. I thought she was just being, trying to keep them. It seems like it did because yeah. all of a sudden at the end, like I said, Culver jumped in and said, you know, you know, he got very territorial. Well, you know, he's gay. Right. And, and but, then later at the end, Culver's the one who wanted to talk. And he was to he's been totally against talking to anybody about anything. Yeah. Having to do with him. Someday. Well, and I think so I think it almost whether she meant it or not, I don't know, but it helped open the lines of communication on Culver's part. It kind of makes stamina more less of a doormat. And I think you, I think you're right because when you mm -hmm. once you said that, you could I could see a pattern of that behavior because she did the same thing for Burnham too. When yeah. after they had this conversation about how they were going to build a mouse trap to trap the angel, that's what you know, that's what Leland and Georgia were on Discovery for, is to trap the angel to figure out what's going on, and and Burnham and Georgia have this 
discussion, this private discussion where she calls her Philippa and Giorgio turns around and says, I am not the person that you need this information from. You have information you need and, and you got you got to get it from somebody else. And then she goes to Leland to get her information. So that's another that falls into the same thing that you just talked about, this pattern of helpful behavior. And at the end, when Burnham is in, you know, dire straits, she's she's in serious danger of dying. Giorgio is like the first one who's leaping towards the door to save her. So there's this, you're upset, you're exactly right. There's this pattern of very interesting behavior coming from her. But I always have to ask myself, what is it in for her? Because she is truly not trustworthy. She, she's she got... True, right. She's got, you know, strategies and plans within strategies and plans within strategies and plans. So it's, it, but it, but it makes for a fascinating character. She's probably my favorite character right now. Because even, um, which doesn't have nothing to do with Colbert, but they went, when they were discussing the whole situation, you know, the Admiral, Section 31, and when they determined, when they told them they had determined it was Michael, you know, Tyler was shocked, he looked at her. Giorgio looked like she knew they were wrong, or she had information. The look on her face wasn't concern like we saw the rest of the episode. The look on her face was she knew they were wrong or Section 31 had the wrong information. Right. Because she even asked, are you sure it was Michael? Interesting. And she had that look on her face like she had different information. This right. is not right. See, I guess I missed that. I was still, but, but in retrospect, I think you're right. Now that I look back, knowing the whole story, looking back, she did have a sort of perplexed look on her face. Like, yeah. Yeah. So Burnham goes to Leland to find out what other information she's missing that would help her analyze this whole, you know, revelation and the big picture. And Leland confesses to her that her parents actually worked for Section 31. And they were on on that planet, what did they call it? Doctori? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, they were on this planet to investigate this Project Daedalus, which was a Klingon time machine that they had crafted in the form of what is the Red Angel's suit. And they were there for a time crystal. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> a time crystal, because that's what you need for time travel. This non-existent thing that makes no sense at all. <laughs> but anyway, so they were there for a time crystal. They were there because of the supernova all her life. Burnham had blamed herself for her parents' death because she'd wanted to stay there to see the Stargo supernova, and it was her fault that they were there when the Klingons invaded, and they, the Klingons killed her parents, and it was all Burnham's fault. And now she learns that it wasn't her fault at all. They were, they were there because Section 31 had them there, and she gives Leland a couple of really good punches. Yeah. <laughs> one for her dad and one for her mom. And so, uh, yeah, and then uh, she goes off and... We see her um, kicking the crap out of a dummy in the gym, and Spock comes in, and he actually gives her some really good therapy, which was fantastic. There was we get to see a different side to the sibling relationship. You know, there's the sniping at each other, and but there's also it was the, also funny when they were in sick bay. That was funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, this is a whole different conversation, but but it's also with everybody smirking at them, bickering. Yeah. But this is also what siblings do for each other. They know each other so well. They know their history better, you know, more than anyone else except themselves, that he's able to draw on their history and condense it down into, you know, 
observations that she found incredibly helpful. And so all of a sudden that relationship is now being healed. At the same time, we see Culber <laughs> visiting Admiral Cornwell in her quarters saying that she used to be a therapist. At which point, I shouted at the television, don't believe a word she says, she's forgotten everything she learned. <laughs> but I need to get over that, don't I? <laughs> and she had- well, you, you are right, yeah. <laughs> so she, she's, she, you know, she sits down with him for a grand total of two minutes, gives him some feedback, and he leaves the room a new man, which we all know is exactly how therapy works. Did you, do you believe that? Do you agree with that? No. Yeah, no, it's not a choice. What you do with love is a choice, but feeling love, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I'm glad she changed her profession. Yeah. Anyway, but I'm glad that Colbert felt better when he left because that's what was needed. He needed (laughs) to have somebody who would say to him, you know, it's okay that you're feeling what you're feeling, which is, you know, that's what good therapist does is help, you know, normalize and figure out what you're going to do next. So, so we ha- then we have this, uh, and one of the reasons Spock came in to talk to um, Burnham is because he realized that there was some a pattern to the appearance of the Red Angel, and the pattern was Burnham. And the, so they he thought that the Red Angel came when Burnham's life was in jeopardy, and so if they put Burnham's life in jeopardy, the angel would have to appear, and then they could use their mousetrap. And so Burnham would be the bait in the mousetrap to make the Red Angel appear. So they go to this planet, they have all this techie equipment to capture the Red Angel, they strap Burnham down. What did you think of them strapping her down? I thought it was a little bit overkill, but I guess. You know, the only thing I, <laughs> I thought, know. I know, because I said to them, why do they have to strap her down? And then I realized maybe it's because, you know, if she was really uncomfortable with, you know, her dying, she might move away from the equipment that they needed to use to capture the Red Angel. They needed to keep her there so the Red Angel would show up in the right place. That was the only thing I could think of. And then they go ahead and they withdraw the life support, and she's exposed to a toxic atmosphere, which is going to kill her. And and ready for this? This was my favorite part, she says very sarcastically. The entire crew watches it. Why? (laughs) Oh, God. I just just could not see that. I couldn't see the reason. You know, I could see where the people on the ground, who are essentially the backup rescue people, they needed to watch. They needed to be there. They needed to know, to go in and resuscitate her if the experiment didn't work. And they needed to be there in order to trigger the mechanisms when the Red Angel showed up. But why does the rest of the bridge crew have to watch their colleague dying? So uh, that made no sense. I bet it was Cam- Admiral Cornwell's idea. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so... It, you know, we t- they, it goes to the very edge of her life. You know, we go to the, the story goes to the very edge of Burnham dying. The others want to get in and save her. Colburn wants to save her and Giorgio wants to save her. And Spock stops them at phaser point saying, she need, we need to take this to the end. She's saying, don't come get me. She's saying, I'm the variants. And it turns out Spock is right because then the Red Angel shows up. And they activate their equipment and they re- pressurize and put the air back in the room so Burnham won't die and the Red Angel takes off her suit and falls to the ground and it's Michael Burnham's mother. Yeah. So what did you think of that? I didn't really understand it. If, if the DNA matched Burnham 100% and they made a 
how could it be her mother? I agree. Well, Which, it's, there would be a DNA match, but it wouldn't be 100%. No, it wouldn't, because she gets 50% of her DNA from her dad. But, you know, right. that, and I went back and I paid attention to that again, because I had the same thought. How could it be 100% Michael Burnham if it's only 50%? Of her, you know, of her mom, and but they didn't actually say DNA. They said bioneural signature, so some uh, kind okay. of biological brainwave signature. Even then, uh, it should still be different. But I guess they went went ahead and assumed that that medical techie term would suffice. So there we are. So now we know that the Red Angel is Burnham's mom, and I have to say I kind of liked that twist. Did you like it? Yeah, I'm glad it's, I'm kind of glad it's not Burnham because it's, you know, like Spock said in the um, sick bay, she would be the one to decide that she was going to be the one to save the world. Yeah. So I kind of glad it turned out not to be. Yes, me too. I really am too. I was really pleased with that realization. And it and adds a whole nother layer of interesting backstory to uncover and to learn about and figure out what's going on. I liked it a lot. So now it looks like what we've got is we've got two competing forces from the future coming back in time. We've got this AI, which is, you know, malicious and looking for destruction, you know, whatever program, the Squiddy probe. And then we've got Burnham's mom, which is trying to go back and do good in history in order to counteract the badness from the future. And I kind of, I, I'm kind of hip on that. I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. So any other thoughts on this episode? Oh, yeah. Um, well, there was a lot of things that I, I loved this episode. It was great. I thought it was great. Um, it moved along, and there were things that I laughed at and things that were totally serious and a couple of left turns things that we weren't expecting so I like that yeah I loved the sick day scene I love that yeah and you know they were all smirking at them <laughs> bickering I thought that was hilarious yeah I mean even Culver who we really haven't seen a smile from we, yeah we had not for a long time right and um oh and there was part and I don't know why I thought it was funny it just hit me funny and it probably meant nothing but there was one part when um they were telling section 31 that this is Michael Burnham and section Leland was explaining that the Klingons did this and if the Klingons had figured out time travel they'd have taken over before we made it out of the puddle or whatever yeah and he says no offense to Ash and Ash says none tanked and the way Spock looks at him is it because Spock doesn't know who he is? Oh, I bet he doesn't. Spock, he, he doesn't. No, well, wait a minute. I don't know. That's a good question. So you think he could... I don't know could, either. So, I, didn't, I didn't know if he looked at him because he had no idea that was about. If it was because Ash Spock doesn't know or because Spock was indignant because he said, well, we would have taken him. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, let's see what else. Oh, there was other thing we forgot to talk about, and that was that Leland got stabbed in the eye by his own security I, device, which means that the AI is on board his ship. That what it is? I think I'm that must sure. be. It has to be. That's what I thought. The AI is on his ship. And what's really interesting here is why did it pick Leland to injure and or kill? I was unclear as to whether Leland was just injured or whether that killed him and after the 
fury of Michael Burnham's response to him, you have to kind of wonder, where did the AI, why did the AI choose him to injure and or kill? I, I, I feel and, like there's oh, a connection I almost, there. I, see, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, I was I'm, wondering if he was trying to undermine the whole No, I think, rescue. I think... The, because he said something about when he ordered the computer to do something, it took a moment for it to do it. And then he was like, why isn't this reacting the way it's supposed to? And I think I, the AI has taken over that Section 31 ship's computer system. That would make sense because his voice came on yeah. and told Ash to shoot after yeah. he was already hit. Yeah. So that's what I think is going on there. But I also think the choice of him as the person who is injured and or killed is very interesting following this revelation about... Michael Burnham. So, you know, is the AI her dad <laughs> who's really angry about what happened? I don't know. It's just, it, I thought that was an interesting choice. Another thing that I thought was really fascinating yeah. that I read later was that the new lieutenant who took Arium's place on the bridge the same actress, yeah. was the same actress who played Arium in the season one. So I, I don't think it's the same actress season two, but it's the same actress in season one, which I thought was kind of cool. I, you know, I like the fact that they brought her back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, you know, she she never got her had her face shown, so right. We never saw her. Let her play a different part when you kill off her character. So, any other thoughts on this episode? I don't think so. On a scale of one to ten, what would you give this? Oh, nine. Yeah. Nine and a half. Yeah, I I would go. I'm up there with a nine too. I thought it was really really well done. So the next episode we'll be watching is called Perpetual Infinity. And we know from the preview that we get to learn more about what's going on with Michael Burnham's mom. So that should be really interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we invite our listeners to join us next time when we talk about the Star Trek Discovery episode, Perpetual Infinity. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook, at facebook.com slash moms going boldly and on twitter at moms going boldly the music used on moms going boldly is without limits by ross bugden music on twitter at ross bugden licensed under a creative commons attribution license creativecommons.org Transfer complete.